0: Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well this morning and been prayerful for the Spirit to be here, and hopefully been prayerful for the preaching that'll come, that'll be in power and demonstration of the Spirit. Uh, It's good to see so many people in God's house this morning. I thought as I first glanced out there that, uh, you know, I guess it was 2015, or I'm not sure on the exact date, we decided to build this particular sanctuary. We were getting a little bit crowded in that one over there. And If we would have decided not to do that and uh, what it would look like over there today with this many people, well, there certainly would be people standing up along the walls. So I think the Lord was definitely in that decision because there's a lot of faces out there this morning. So it's, and it's good to see that. I wanna start this morning in Acts the 16th chapter. As you flip there, Acts the 16th chapter. I'm not gonna read all of this, Mostly the latter part of this chapter is what I want, but I want to give you just a little bit of it so it'll put it in the right context. And most of you are probably familiar with this and have read it before. But I want to start in verse 16 of Acts 16. And it reads like this, it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. So, does everybody kind of got that picture in your mind of what that, what that looked like, right? All right, you got... Paul and Silas here and several others, Luke in particular, who's writing this, are going along and there's this woman that's possessed and because of her possession, people have taken a financial advantage of that and maybe through ways we don't understand, uh, we're either using her to deceive people or maybe there was some sort of dark darkness there where she was able to tell things that just mesmerized people, but uh, nonetheless, they were using her to make money, all right? And so when Paul and Silas comes along, the, the the darkness inside of her begins to cry out and just basically nag them to death. And she would say, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now think of where these people, uh, where Paul and Silas are. They're in the midst of Romans right here, all right? So they're going along and this, this lady is continuing, for, it says for days would follow them, and announce, which is which is weird, the way the Lord just kind of overcame her darkness because what she was saying was true, right? She was making the proper announcement for what these men were saying. So they're going along, and she's telling everybody, "Here are these two men, and they're showing us the way of salvation." Well, if you're from Rome or you're in some of these other Gentile cities, that's not something that's really on the forefront of your mind. You're not thinking about salvation. They had their uh, they had their own uh, list of gods that they worshipped. And you know, these men uh, and women of the of the of Rome and the Romans, the Gentiles, they don't have the long history of the jewish nation you know they're not like the jews would be they didn't study over the writings that they had and they didn't you know cherish the the memories of 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 the uh, uh prophets and priests that had gone before them and abraham and isaac and jacob didn't mean anything to these people and all of a sudden you've got these two jews coming along and this lady is proclaiming to everybody now these guys are showing us something here and what they're showing us is the way to salvation and so when finally, when Paul has enough of it, he turns around and in the power of the spirit, he cast out this uh, demon or this devil out of this woman and takes away um, the, the method of uh, financial gain from these, from these people that were using her. Well, they get mad about it and they go tell on Paul and Silas and they basically have Paul and Silas beaten and they have them thrown in prison. Okay. Now, when they take them to prison, we'll read about there in just a minute. You know, probably like with any prisoner, if you're a prison guard, you probably, over time, you have a general idea of what the people who you are watching over, what they're in there for, right? You know, if you're a prison guard and you walk up and down the cells, you know the guy in this cell, probably, you know, he's here for murder, he's here for this, he's here for that, he's here for that. Well, this probably followed Paul and Silas into that prison, and the the, the, the prison guard surely had some knowledge of what these two Jewish prisoners had done. And so... They take them and it says, they thrust them into the inner prison and they made their feet fast in stock so they're bound, they're very uncomfortable. The next part here is a very familiar part to us. And it says that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. All right, notice this now. It says, and the keeper of the prison... Awaking out of his sleep. So this prisoner was... I mean, this uh, the keeper, the guard here, he was not over there listening, you know, in the darkness, listening to Paul and Silas sing hymns and just thinking, you know, I wonder what those are about. He's sound asleep. What wakes this man up is the earthquake. So this man wakes up out of his sleep. He stands up. He sees the prison doors are open, and he draws his sword out and is about to commit suicide. And you say, why would he do that? Well, if you go back in the Bible to Acts, the 12th chapter, if you remember that in Acts, the 12th chapter, Peter is in prison, right? And the angel of the Lord comes and delivers Peter out of prison. And when Herod finds that Peter has uh, escaped from prison, it tells us that he had the guards and all those there that were supposed to keep him and guard him, he killed them all. You see, that was the punishment. If you're a prison guard and the prisoners get away, then that's a sense of death, right? So imagine yourself being in the shoes of this prison guard for just a second. He wakes up out of an earthquake. He stands up and he looks and all the prison doors are open and he's thinking to himself, my life is over, all right? And so this man's adrenaline has got to be pumping, right? Because he takes out his sword and and he's about to to thrust it through himself. So imagine what he's feeling. Heart is pounding, not to nothing. He's scared to death. And he says, the only way for me to get out of this terrible situation is to kill myself. Because if I don't kill myself, then the leaders are going to kill me. Because again, in Acts chapter 12, we see that's the punishment for it, Right? And so as he's standing there, he draws out his sword and he's about to thrust himself in, assuming, the Bible says, supposing that the prisoners had fled. And out of the darkness, he hears a voice and it says, but Paul cried with a loud voice. He didn't just say, hey, wait a minute. He screams, wait, 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 wait. He says, do thyself no harm for we're all here. Then he called for a light. The the prison guard called for a light. He sprang in and came trembling so again i love the descriptiveness of the bible right all right so here the man wakes up he sees that the doors are open he assumes that everybody's run away he grabs his sword the adrenaline's pumping he's thinking this is the end of me he puts the point to his chest and he's about to run himself through and then all of a sudden he hears one of the prisoners say don't do this we're all here so this man doesn't just mosey in there and look the Bible says he's spraying in there. I don't feel like springing right now, but I would almost do it just to make a picture. He comes running in, running in there, and he's probably just shaking because the Bible says he's trembling. His heart's pumping. He's gone from, I'm sound asleep. Have you ever been woken up out of a sound sleep, something scary? You? you know, I've woken up before, I'd be laying there, and, and just kind of for some reason I'd open my eyes, and one of your kids would be standing right here, you know, and you're like, and it just. It startles you. You go, from, you go from zero to 100 quickly, right? So he goes from zero to 100. And his heart is racing, right? He goes to the point of sleep to suicide. And then he goes from suicide to relief. And then that relief takes him into the prison. So he is up and down on his emotions, right? And he stands there and he looks and he sees... All these prisoners are still there when they had every chance in the world to get out of there. All right. Can you you feel it? Can you feel what this man must have been feeling? And it says he sprang in and he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, what does this prisoner, what does this prison guard know? All right. I know the message that they've been carrying all right. You know, they probably took him in. They probably threw him in, told him, put these men in stocks. He's like, what'd they do? They've been, there's this woman walking around and they were hollering. She was hollering about them that they're going to show us the way to salvation. They probably said it mockingly. They're going to show us the way to salvation. Anyway, they're in trouble for it. So here's there. So I wonder if it, it, it was resonating in that prison guard's mind. These two men are, are in here because supposedly they're going to show us the way of salvation and they're just, they've just got a different spin on life than us Romans have. All right, well now all of a sudden all these things have happened and he runs in there and he looks at him, and you know what he's curious about now? He wants to know something about what their message is. He sees clearly there's a spirit and a power with you men, you prisoners, unlike any I have ever experienced. And I want to know something about it. And this is what he says. He brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now I'm going to come back to this if I have time to close it out. Boy, time gets away, doesn't it? I want you to imagine if somebody that knew nothing about the gospel, like this prison guard, knew nothing about the gospel and found themselves in a dire situation where they're overcome with emotions, they're scared, but yet very happy. They've experienced the point of suicide, maybe, and then they see great relief, and their emotions are a roller coaster and they look at you and there's something about you that makes them want to ask a question. And the question is, what must I do to be saved? All right. Now, let's, 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 let's put it like this. <clears throat> let's say that there's a person that comes running into a building, feeling all of these emotions. And she just so happens to find in that building preachers of different denominations in that building. And she runs up in there and says, what must I do to be saved? All right. Imagine that in your head. Well, there's going to be a preacher that stands up and says this. Well, I'll tell you how you're going to get saved. Because John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he'd say, so all you've got to do is believe. That's all you've got to do if you'll just believe. Then another preacher stands up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. He's got part of it right. But there's more to it. Because the Bible says in Mark, the 16th chapter, the 16th verse, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. All right, so the girl runs in and probably immediately finds a little bit of relief. So all I got to do is believe. And then the other guy stands up and says, well, let's add to that. You've actually got to be baptized as well. Well, if I were that person, I would start to get a little bit confused. Well, which one is it? Right. And then another preacher stands up. He says, well, in Romans, the 10th chapter, it says this. Romans 10 says, it's not just about belief. He says, if you shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And he goes on and says, see, belief's important. It says, for the heart man believeth unto righteousness. It says, uh, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so all of a sudden this girl says, all right. So I've got to believe, one guy's telling me. Another guy's telling me I've got to believe, but I've also got to confess. Another guy tells me that I've got to believe, I've got to confess, and I've also got to be baptized. Then another guy stands up and says, wait, that's not the end of the story. There's more to it. In Matthew the 10th chapter, Jesus Christ himself says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. And so the girl comes in, Broken, lost, looking for salvation. And she finds the people that are supposed to be able to guide her into that. And what does she find? She finds mass confusion, right? She leaves out of this room thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know believe and then this guy saying confess and this guy saying repent and uh, and my goodness one of the guys says i've got to endure to the end what does that even mean does that mean i've got to just have uh way more good works than bad works so i have to just persevere in my in my belief all the way up until the day i die that seems kind of shaky ground and then another guy stands up and says Nope, all these guys got it wrong because the bible says it's by grace that we're saved all right, do you understand? Can, can you put yourself in the shoes of this girl? Massive confusion. Are you with me? Yeah. Massive confusion because she came in broken, looking for some answers, and she got so many different answers, she doesn't know what to do. and She probably turns around and leaves. More confused than when she got here. Right. You see, the Bible does say, that there's a salvation in belief. The Bible also says there's a salvation in confession. These preachers are not giving her false verses. The Bible does, Jesus did say he that endures to the end will be saved. The Bible does say that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. The Bible does say those things. So how do we reconcile all of that, right? How do you reconcile all of that? A guy told me one time, he said, if you don't believe that there's more than one type of salvation in the Bible, then the Bible will be the most confusing book you've ever read. Right. Amen. And that's true, right? You see, belief brings a certain type of salvation. Being baptized brings a certain type of deliverance. Repenting and confessing brings a certain type of deliverance for us, right? But now... The guy that stood over here and said it's by grace that you're saved. It says not by works. What does that mean? All right. What does it mean to say you're saved by grace? You see, grace, we all like to use the word grace. Every single one of these preachers up here would say, oh, we're saved by grace. But you got to believe and do all these other things to get it. What does it mean to be saved by grace? See, everybody uses that term Grace is not just a kind, gracious thing. Grace is a thing, right? Grace is is an entity all in of itself. And grace, the Bible teaches us, is separate and totally independent of any kind of work. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? In Romans, the 11th chapter, it says, if it's by grace, then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. Grace. To, to insert works into grace destroys the identity of grace. They cannot coexist. Are you with me? Yeah. They cannot coexist. It also says, and I know I've probably given you this one before in Romans, I believe it's the fourth chapter. It says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Here we got works and grace again. The example that I've used in different churches, probably used it here before, is if I hire somebody to cut my grass and they cut my grass and when they're done, they come to me and I hand them money. That is not an act of grace. Because once they finish the job and met the conditions that I asked them to meet in order to receive the reward, I owe them that. You see, I'm in debt to them. It's not an act of grace for me to pay them. It's a a matter of settling a debt with them, right? So grace and works cannot coexist. When you find grace, you find an unmerited favor bestowed on you that has nothing to do with your works. And I've said this before on Wednesday night, and I'll say it here again this morning. When you look at this man said to believe, this man said to confess, this man said to be baptized, this man said to endure Every single one of those are verbs, right? Yeah. And I went back and checked just to make sure I didn't get it wrong. A verb is the part of the sentence that shows action. Right. And the definition of a work is anything that requires action or effort mentally or physically. Now, I'll go to my grave being convinced that the Bible teaches me that belief, confession, repentance, baptism, enduring, all those things are works. But now listen, there is a type of salvation that everyone must agree on. There is at least one type of salvation that is totally independent of our works. Right? When I said a minute ago, two types of salvation, what I mean is simply this. There's a salvation on this side of heaven that we experience And there's a salvation in eternity that we experience, right? I can be delivered from a number of things on this side of heaven, right? The the Philippian jailer, he needed some deliverance, right? He needed some type of salvation because my goodness, he's about to kill himself. And now he's excited again. He doesn't know what's going on in this world. He needs some sort of deliverance. The Bible says here the definition of belief when it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the very definition of believe is to have confidence in or to trust in. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. You need to make him the focal point of your daily walk. That's what's going to deliver you out of this mental roller coaster that you're on. And notice he says this. This is probably a whole other sermon, but it'd be a good one, I believe. What must I do to be saved? <clears throat> and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. You can't go. I don't believe you would find any church in the world today that would tell you the, that if you will meet certain conditions that it will filter out and affect a number of other people. Nobody will tell you your baptism will cover all these people or your belief or confession will cover all these people. You understand? You understand? He's not telling this man how to get to heaven. He's telling this man how to find deliverance from the lost, horrible mental state that you're in. But notice this. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Listen, this is to the men. All right. To the men. This is one of many verses in the Bible that show the powerful impact the man's spiritual walk has on his family. Right. Now, I racked my brain and I could not think of one example. And I know you can, so don't come up and say, Oh, I've thought of thousands of examples, because you'll mess up my little examples. I could not think of one example where there is a faithful, God fearing, church attending man whose wife just has, wants really nothing to do with it. But I could think of dozens of women who are faithful to come and attend and be in church and their husbands have, won't no part of it. I can think of dozens. Dozens of examples where the woman is faithful spiritually, but the man wants nothing to do with it. But I cannot think of one example where the man is faithful spiritually and the woman is not. Think about that. The man has a powerful impact on the spiritual flow of his household. Amen. And, and Paul tells this man, if you believe, if you will believe and you will be faithful, it will impact your family in a mighty way and they'll be delivered from a lost mindset. Amen. Amen. And what happens? It says they go home, and he he uh, he took care of their wounds, and he was baptized, and he and all his. You see, daddy came home with a message, and daddy was passionate about it, and he was he was sure about it, and he believed it would be it was entirely true. And his wife and his children saw him and saw it in his face and heard it in his words, and they said, "We'll follow you." That is God's design, Amen. right there dads you want to be lazy spiritually your family will be lazy spiritually most likely right it should be the father that says i know we're tired and i know we don't feel like going but i'm going to get up and go and the odds are your family will follow you right that is god's design now that's what that's what paul is telling this jailer paul's not telling this jailer let me tell you how to get to heaven he said, man, you have been on a rollercoaster of emotions, haven't you? you? You're about to commit, commit suicide, and, and now you're relieved and you're awestruck at how we are all still here. And you want to know something about the motive of why we're here. Let me tell you about Jesus. You need to believe on Him. You need to quit trusting in Herod. You need to quit trusting in Caesar. You need to quit trusting in all those people. You need to trust in the Lord. All right. Grace. Is what gets you to heaven. Unmerited favor. But brothers and sisters. Your belief and your repentance and your baptism. And all these other things will deliver you from all manner of things in this life. But there's only one thing that is going to put you in heaven. And that was grace. And he says that grace cannot coexist with any work that you do. I have trouble with this. What kind of God would come up with a a, a salvation that was dependent on conditions, knowing that the very man he called to give those conditions would be so in disharmony with one another and, and bring so much confusion to the person that came down saying, I want to be saved. What kind of God would do that? God would not say the secret to you finding salvation is in this Bible knowing that men were going to confuse it. And one man was going to be adamant you had to be baptized. And another man was going to be adamant that you didn't. I don't know. I just can't, I just can't buy that a God that loves us as much as the Bible says would we'll do it that way. It's grace that saves you. And I'm out of time. I'm way out of time. But let me finish with this. I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to just trust that I got up here late. So don't be mad if Brother Tim goes over because it's my fault the first patient's late of the day, every patient's going to be late of the day after that, right? <laughs> right. The first preacher runs long, the second preacher runs long. That's the way it goes. But listen, I think about the Twin Towers, right? Those were people who, many of them, above the impact of the crash, knew they were dead before they were dead. Yeah. I think about, um, you know, there have been instances where submarines have somehow lost power, the ability to ascend and just kind of sank slowly and slowly and slowly, those guys knew they were dead before they were dead. Mm -hmm. Think about the time that uh, there were some cave-ins in in some mines, and those men sat down there and oxygen got less and less. They knew they were dead before they were dead, right? In those moments, that's probably where you find this little person running down saying, what have I got to do to be saved? (laughs) Maybe you don't vocalize that, but maybe you're thinking that. I've got just moments left. What have I got to do to be saved? Let me tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to try to remember all the bo- check boxes that these, that these preachers gave me. Right. I don't want to have to think, "Oh, I believe, but did I really believe? Or I confess, but did I really mean it? Oh, I never. I just. I mean, it was last week I did that, and I was going to get baptized the next week, but I never made it to the baptism pool. And my mind just races. You know what I want to be to do in those moments? I want to be able just to tuck my hands and fold them in my lap and love grace. Amen. That's what I want to do. That's right. And trust that my works didn't have anything to do with this next big deliverance that I need. This next big deliverance that I'm about to need doesn't have anything to do with me. Amen. It's all of the Lord. Amen. Now, brother, I don't know why anybody would be anti that message. Right. Well, I do know because men like to have a part in something. Yeah. I know why. That's right. But I can't believe that people don't like that. Mm-hmm. Grace is what saves us, right? And if you ever find yourself in that cave or in that submarine or just on your deathbed and the doctor says you've just got a little bit of time, embrace that. Another sermon for another day would be, how do I know if I'm an object of the Lord's grace? Well, I'll tell you what, just the fact that you got up and came this morning is a good indicator, right? I hope that's been profitable. Please forgive me, I went over four minutes. Give Brother Tim at least five.